Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Hello, guys and gals. Matt McNeil here, flying solo today on the uh, Lift Effect podcast. Latest episode. I'm going to be working alone today since Carl is out. Um, he's got an obligation, so he sends his condolences, but he will be back uh, for our next episode. So, to make it easy, um, and since I don't, we don't really plan these podcast which is um i don't know maybe, maybe it's a good thing maybe it's not a good thing what i thought i would do is address a couple of questions um and i actually found one there, there's i try to you know answer every question that comes through either via email or on this podcast but i was thinking about we got a lot of feedback last week about um the you know the topic of meaning and Victor Frankel, which I, I had spoken about, and people seemed pretty impacted by that, that, you know, the story of Victor Frankel and his work. And there was some questions around meaning. So I think maybe that would be a good place to, to go today, if that's okay with, with you guys. But first, let me just address another question that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, I just, and I just pulled these up this morning as I, poured my coffee. Here's one. So it says, uh, thanks for the podcast, guys. You're welcome. A lot of good information you're bringing here. Forgive me if you have already addressed this in a previous episode, but do you have any strategies for handling professional conflicts, crew dynamics in the flight deck, as well as with the flight attendants seem to be a lot more contentious over the last few years? I think absolutely that's true. I'm an FO. And I find myself having to deal with certain individuals that are, well, extreme, bordering on crazy when it comes to their political viewpoints, religious viewpoints, social viewpoints, and even their viewpoints on pilot contracts. Oh, yes. I find myself in situations where I vehemently, vehemently disagree with them to the point of wanting to call off the trip because I can't stand flying with them. Are there ways I can approach this constructively? without having to go to professional standards, or do I need to basically tell them to go to hell and refuse to fly with them? Things feel like they are at a breaking point. Oh, man. Okay, so one is religion and uh, politics in the flight deck is a bad idea. You really should try to avoid those conversations, even if you're an FO. Uh, you can still say, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm comfortable discussing this. And while that may feel like it's gonna, it's gonna break uh, CRM, 
I think having discussions that are contentious about religion and politics are going to break CRM. Uh, and for those of you that are not flying, I know there's a lot of people listening that aren't pilots. CRM is crew resource management. It's it's really how we communicate and how we utilize the resources that we have to ensure that the operation is safe and continues to progress. So without getting into too much on that, I think it's never a good idea. And I think even though as a, you know, that people always say, you know, as a captain, I set the tone. I, I think the crew sets the tone. If somebody's talking about things that you're uncomfortable with or that you feel like are activating, I think it's your right to say, you know, I, I, these are just deeply personal topics to me. And and I'm just, I'd just be more comfortable if we, we didn't go there, if that's okay with you, but you may not be comfortable with that. And that may not be an option. So you want to figure out basically what you're, what you're saying is, is how do I, uh, how do I, how do I deal with crazy, <laughs> right? We've all flown with those people that are just, and I'm not saying, you know, left or right or this or that, but people are just, they're so activated by what they're talking about that they start to, um, I don't know, like they kind of lose perspective and they start saying crazy shit. We've all heard it. We've all been there. So it, you know, in our personal lives, you know, we all have family that is like, you know, drives us nuts. And we're like, oh my God, they're just nuts. Look at, li listen to the crap that comes out of their mouth. Well, there's a few different techniques that you can do when you are dealing with somebody that is maybe, you know, let's, let's go to the extreme. Like there's a conflict and somebody's screaming at you. Now, look, if somebody is, if CRM is so broken, then you need to call off. Like you need to get off the trip. You need to call your chief, land, call your chief, say either, you know, I, I need to remove myself because this is, um, I can't, uh, CRM is broken. And, you know, and, and unfortunately that's probably going to be a pro standards thing, right? And so the question was, how do we avoid pro standards? How do we solve these conflicts on our own? Which I always think is the best way if possible. There's a, a few different ways you can approach dealing with high states of activation that somebody is directing at you. One is most importantly is like, keep your own crazy under control. And we all have it. We all have our own nuts. We can get pushed into that place um, where we can get, you know, super activated and just that tipping point go over the edge. So one is it's really important that you keep your own crazy bay. You can't control what somebody else does, but you can control what you do. Here's a, a couple things maybe to think about. One is try to reframe an attack as an opportunity for you to demonstrate self-control and poise. So how do you do that? One is you can picture the part of your brain that is dealing with, the, there's a couple parts of our brain. There's your cerebral cortex and, and, um, there's your emotional brain and like your amygdala and all these, you know, different anatomy that, that, that creates high states of activation and emotion. And you can picture the, the, the thinking part, the rational part, um, saying this to your emotional brain, right? Is to, I'm going to stay in control, even though the emotional part's going nuts, I'm going to remain calm in this situation. 
you can yell and swear at the person and tell them to F off in your mind, but you probably shouldn't do it in actuality because that's why that's because that's what the person that's going nuts on you is doing. And look how it's, how it's creating the situation. You don't want to mix fire with fire, but in your mind, you can certainly go after them and you can do that. Just make sure that your mouth isn't doing that because that's only going to make this, make this worse. Second is think of maybe somebody that you view as a, a guide, a mentor, somebody that you look up to, and just picture them in your mind as this is going on and find some reasons to just feel gratitude for them. Like somebody that you deeply care about, somebody that you really love. And because what, again, as we've talked about in the past, in a couple of previous episodes, fear uh, and anger are what like just create chaos in our personal lives. It's what creates chaos in our society. And gratefulness or gratitude is a way to shut that mechanism down. You can't be grateful and, and have appreciation and be angry uh, and be fearful uh, and angry at the same time. So it's an antidote to that. So just picturing your mentors in your mind is a way to feel some instant gratitude. There's another way is, is take a pause. So think about like, like dropping the anchor or dropping the brake. When you're taxing around and things are getting out of control and you don't know what's going on and there's all sorts of conflicting information, right? What do you do? You don't just keep, you don't just keep taxiing. You you stop and you set the brake and you go, okay, wait, let's time out. Let's regroup here. So you can do this with yourself. First way to do this, there's there's eight steps to, to doing this. One is the physical awareness. Right now, I'm feeling physically probably my heart is pounding in my chest or my breathing is getting really shallow and, and, um, and thoracic. It's like at the top, right? It's not diaphragmatic. It's, it's, it's shallow breathing because you're, you're kind of rearing up for the fight. So just identify physically what's happening in your body at that moment. So physical second now is the emotional awareness right now. I'm feeling maybe scared, maybe really angry, maybe hurt, whatever the emotion is. It's okay. There's no, there's no right or wrong. Just acknowledge what you're feeling. So there's the physical, there's the emotional. And then the next one, this is, this is a big one. Impulse. What is your impulse awareness? This feeling makes me want to scream back, throw a, you know, a book at this person makes me want to strangle them, makes me want to run. What is the impulse that you can become aware of? Now, the next one's crucial off of impulse, which is consequence. What is your consequence awareness? If I respond this way, what likely is going to happen? This is a pivotal place in this disruptive, you know, this disruptive process of reactivity. We have a physical awareness, we have an emotional awareness, then we have an impulse, and then we just go because we don't consider the consequence. If you stop and consider the consequence, you will find, unless you're blind, deaf, or dumb, which you're not, you're going to find that if I carry this out, if I engage, if I start screaming back, if I become physical, this is going to be 
not get better for me, for the other person, for anyone. This is going to make things worse. So that consequence awareness is a, a, a huge turning point. That is the pivot point. The next part is then the insight awareness. Now that I'm a little calmer, I've thought this through, I can see that I might be you know, taking this to the next level or overreacting or just taking this too personally in, in the following ways. And you just kind of list them out. So that's where you get some insight. Now we're starting moving in the right direction. Then there's situation awareness, which is what, what's a better, a better thing to do would be, how do you want to respond? Maybe it's turn around and walk away. Maybe it is just call off the trip. Maybe it's wait for them to stop talking and then wait a little longer. Wait is a great acronym. It stands for why am I talking? Wait. We used to do that, use that in pro standards a lot. It's like just before you start, yeah, but, or trying to get your word in, just wait. Let them kind of wear themselves out. And then you can you can respond to the situation. There's a situation where it's a better thing to do would be could say something like, you know, hey, look, you know, not the best delivery uh, on your part, but going forward um, in your mind's eye, what, what exactly are you asking me to start doing? And what do you want me to stop doing so that we don't have to ever have this conversation again? It's a great way to approach this kind of conversation. Or, you know what? I, I don't like your delivery or your tone, but just so I don't misunderstand the point you're making, what is it that you would like me to get from this conversation? That's a powerful response, by the way, guys. Or maybe there's nothing to be said. But again, that's for you to determine. But without any insight, you're not going to get you're not going to get there. Without any situation, understanding the situation, a better thing to do would be then think about the benefit. If I if I do the better strategy, the benefits will be. I don't have to get into this big thing with this person, or we can continue to fly together for the next four days and get the job done. And then I can just, you know, try to avoid this person again, or I don't have to avoid this person again, because I'm just not going to, I'm not going to get into this kind of thing. Um, and then last is this, the letting go, the release, let become awareness of now that if I, if I did these steps, what am I, what I'm going to do is what to let go. So physical, emotional impulse, consequence, insight, situation, benefit, and release. Now, if you're just, you know, you get so caught off guard that you have no way of responding and you just got run over by a truck, which is what happens. We're not used to, most of us, uh, unless you have, you know, anger management issues, which a lot, a lot of people do, and that's okay. It's workable. You can, you can, we can fix that. You can work on that. It's not workable, meaning it's not it's not good to have anger management, but you can fix that. Um, but most of us are not used to, you know, just having to fight, especially in a professional situation, you know, like at work. We're just not used to that. So if it if it just goes nuts, there is a uh, guy named Mark Goulston, a psychologist that's that's written extensively about this. He's he's probably written some of the best. He's got some of the best work around this. Um, but it's, he's got the, I think he calls it the, oh, fuck speed, uh, oh, fuck drill or something like that. But what it is, is I, I just remember this. It's sorry for swearing. I know some of you don't like swearing. I'm just, I'm just uh, repeating somebody else's theory. Okay. So don't get mad at me. 
it it goes oh fuck oh god oh geez oh well okay so what it is is there's the the oh fuck which is the reaction phase like when somebody somebody just like you know just just screams at you our first reaction is oh 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 fuck right like it's it's the reaction then the then the oh god that's the release so there's this reaction and then there's the release of oh god okay it's kind of like okay this is happening this just happened then there's the recentering which is the ogs oh geez okay so now i gotta like i gotta figure out how to deal with this and then there's the oh well which is the refocusing phase and then there's the okay which is the re-engaging phase so reaction release recenter now refocus and re-engage i think it's a really good a good tool and if you can just kind of memorize it it's it's the the five r's reaction release recenter refocus re-engage i think you can try it and i have had clients i've done this in my own life i've dealt with some very very reactive people obviously and i've seen my clients utilize this and they report back that holy crap that really does work that's really 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 helpful for dealing with these kinds of situations so try it out let me know how it goes let me know what you think next question pull this up here it says your discussion on victor frankel blew me away i downloaded the book man's search for meaning and read the entire thing over a couple of days cool it's awesome uh how could i have missed this book the topic of meaning seems to be tightly correlated with self-actualization for those of us that have been flight instructors we all know of maslow's hierarchy of needs with self-actualization at the top of the pyramid while the lowest needs like shelter food and water makes sense the higher up the pyramid we go seems a bit less clear at least for me can you talk about self-actualization as it relates to our mental health and fitness sorry if this question is too long and not too long it's a, a really good it's a really good question and self-actualization is it's like this term that i think we throw around but it it can be like what is it the hell does it mean self-actualization mean like i'm just good with things or i'm at the the you know the the peak of my game what 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 does it mean well let's let's talk about some self-actualization maslow was a uh psychologist and he coined this term in the like the 50s i think it was the 50s lots a lot has changed and you know but the work of of maslow just like the work of frankel and maslow was a part of the something called humanistic psychology which was really inspired by human potent the human potential movement that came out of that in the 70s which then gave birth to the self-improvement and the personal development industry that we know today so the humanistic movement was really important and the self-actualized paradigm was it was a key piece to it so that, that's where it came from but i think since that time period self-actualizations become really overused and totally misunderstood let's try to break this down into uh like what 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 does this what does this mean so let's start with the hierarchy of needs there's this triangle if some of you have seen it and at the at the base it's like what is the most important from the bottom up well physiological needs are most important 
and then safety and then love and belonging and then esteem and then self-actualized self-actualization needs um which i would say in you know self-actualization includes uh person you know, self-growth but these hierarchy of needs prove to be fairly uh correct i mean if you don't i, I remember when i was in graduate school um students are learning how to do different kinds of therapy and some of it's psychodynamic and some of it's interpersonal and some of it's cognitive behavioral. And, and sometimes people would come in, you know, we had a, a, a clinic that the university runs and it would take students and it would take people, anybody could go to it in the community. And a lot of times you'd get people that, that were, you know, homeless or living out of their cars. And it was always sort of absurd to see somebody trying to do like deep interpersonal work with somebody when they're like living in their car, like they're not going to, that's not going to help them. Like they need their basic needs met. Like, where am I going to eat? Where am I going to take a shower? Where am I going to be able to go to the bathroom? How am I going to stay warm? Because, you know, maybe my car doesn't run anymore. I mean, you, you got to deal with, with physiological and safety needs first. And then belonging, and then esteem, and then self-actualize the, the growth piece. So it's important to think about self-actualization as 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 growth. And so there was a book called uh, Motivation and Personality that Maslow that he wrote. That was kind of his big book, and he defined self-actualization as a fuller knowledge of and acceptance of the person's intrinsic nature. That was the first thing. So you got to understand your, your, your own core intrinsic nature. The second was ongoing actualization of potentials, capacities, and talents. So what, what are you, what are you good for? What do you have in you in terms of your, your, your capability, your inherent talents, what kind of potential do you have? Third was an increasing trend toward unity, integration, or synergy within the person. And then the fourth was fulfillment of mission or, or, or call, or we could call it fate or destiny or vocation, whatever. So think of self-actualization as the need to become what one has the potential to be. And we realize this potential, and this is where I think the Frankel stuff was important because one of his pieces was about, about potential in a situation. What is the potential in a situation? Now, Potential as we use it today can be actually a pretty dangerous word because potential oftentimes is, is used as, well, I don't have this, but I'm going to keep holding on uh, to try to get it when that may not be the right thing, right? Maybe potential can be a very dangerous word because it means it's not there. But when we're, and it comes to our own intrinsic capabilities, potential is an important thing we realize this potential is for its own gratification, not for any external gain or concern of what others will think or say, because external need, esteem needs drive these motivations. So who is self-actualizing? Well, when, when Maslow set out to study self-actualizing individuals, he ran into a, I mean, it's kind of funny, like you read his books and read some of his studies he did, he ran into a problem, right? He couldn't find enough individuals that met his criteria. So let's think about this for a second. He wanted to study what positive mental health looks like, but he couldn't find enough psychologically healthy people to study. So let's fast forward 70 years later, 
and you look at the research in the fields of humanistic psychology and developmental psychology and you know transpersonal psychology and all these different types of psychology and they they confirm his experience self actualization or mature psychological development is very rare how rare well the statistics you'll often find is that less than 2%. So that that's more than 98% of us are not reaching close to our potential as mature adults. So if you think about this, this is kind of a sobering statistic. And if you observe those around you, the interest of most people and the, the media we consume, this, this percentage is not like surprising at all. And that's not to be judgmental. I'm just you know, I think you got to, if you open your eyes, you, you see this is true. Are, are people really reaching their potentials? Absolutely not. And there's lots of systemic reasons why. Again, going back to if you're living in your car, uh, it's pretty hard to reach your human, you know, peak potential. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but there are obstacles that are in the way of, of, of being able to, to reach self-actualization. So what blocks people? And this is research-based. So self-actualization it's the birthright of every human being, but why is it so hard to get? Well, societal programming show, you know, there's studies that show that 98, again, 98% of children can be classified as creative geniuses. It's funny how there's this, this Pareto's principle, right? 80, 20, um, 95, 10, 98, two, it's always within that, but 98% of kids can be classified as creative geniuses and creativity is the key attribute of self-actualization. So by the age of 15, after a decade in the school system, that number drops to 10%. For adults, that percentage drops to 2%. Yep, that's that number two statistic again. Now, don't even get me started about the educational system. We're not going to do that. I'll get all riled up. I'll have to use those techniques to calm down. Second is cultural programming. The, the values of a particular culture influence the way that the, the citizens of that culture, that society develops, how they develop. And most modern cultures are driven by image and consumerism. And the cultural pressures related to these drives suppress developmental processes in our adolescence, and, to, and then this carries over into adulthood. A third thing that blocks our ability to self-actualize is, is trauma, psychological trauma, past trauma. Most of it's unrecognized. And it's the main reason that, that individuals avoid actualizing their potential because when there's trauma through these unconscious cues, you know, from parents during childhood, most of us develop deeply rooted feelings of being insecure, of being unloved, of being unworthy. And, you know, as a psychotherapist, I see this every single day, every day, all day. It's a real thing. It's not BS. And a, a, another reason that people can't self-actualize is, I guess we could classify as like neurological issues, neurological problems, which is all the above and then added with poor nutrition that impacts brain's development and leads to neurological problems, neurological uh, uh, disease. Our brains operate at quite suboptimal levels, leading us to engage in you know, behaviors that are, are not adaptive. And not adaptive means they don't actually help us navigate or guide our life. They can be impulsive, they can be compulsive, they can be unsupportive um, types of behaviors. 
So th those are the things that that blocks us from self-actualizing. Now, to understand why most of us struggle to adopt good supporting habits, and we're going to get into habits on one of these episodes soon. I'm really into habits. I think it's a, a really important thing. Even before you can goal set, it is important that you have a, a framework for having good habits. But I digress. Let's try to stay on task, on topic. Most of us struggle to adopt good habits and and kind of pursue the you know self-mastery because human needs that come before self-actualizing end up getting in the way. And when these needs aren't met within us, we we can't focus our awareness and our attention on on growth needs yet. So physiological needs are obvious, right? You got to have a place to sleep, you got to be able to eat, you got to be able to stay safe. You need clean air, you need clean food and water. We need shelter, which is leads into safety. But this represents socioeconomic concerns beyond this conversation here. So let's examine what's blocking the average individual in the modern world from self-actualizing. Uh, self well, the human need is, let's look at the human needs, esteem needs. Well, the psychological burden that, that blocks that is feeling unworthy. The belonging needs is feeling unloved, feeling like nobody loves us and we're not cared for. And the safety needs is feeling unsafe. So deeply rooted feelings of being unsafe, being unworthy, of being unloved, drive our behavior and block the natural course of our development. This is why we have, you know, they used to call it in in back, you know, I guess they still do. I don't really like clinical terms. They call it neurotic behavior. I just say behavior that leads us away from the life that we want. It's the, you know, in spite of ourselves, we make poor choices. So we're still attempting to, you know, these basic needs are, are often insufficiently met in our childhood. And now we're, we're still attempting to try to meet them. The challenge is that as adults, physical, physiological needs cannot be met by anything outside of ourselves. So let's talk about some characteristics of self-actualization. So let's not just can sit here on the problem. Let's, let's go more towards a solution. Or what does it look like? Part of the problem with, with self-actualizing in, in terms of how we use it, where people just don't really understand what it means is, we don't have a unified, agreed upon vision for self-actualization and human potential. And instead, we, we just take cues of what's desirable by watching celebrities or famous people and self-promoting individuals. That's why you got to be really careful with where you get your information and make sure that it's actually backed by science and not just, you know, voodoo um, marketing. So without having an internal vision of what is possible, we look to these types of sources and our social circles for clues of, of, of how we're supposed to be, what we're capable of. Luckily, in motivation and personality, which was something Maslow did a lot of work on, he highlighted characteristics of self-actualization he eventually uncovered through his all of his research and all of his work. Okay, so let's talk about some characteristics of self-actualization. And these are these are like directly from Maslow's work. So these are not my 
uh, creations. This is just, I'm just uh, communicating his research. So one is superior to perception of reality and the ability to detect deception. That is a characteristic. People that are self-actualized have often a unusual ability to be able to determine what is when people are being honest um, or dishonest at the personality level. And I think one thing that helps attribute this is your own aware awareness of, of your own darker side. If you understand your own darker side, you can easily spot it and see it within others. And I'll add that, that in order to be able to make that determination, it's important that you approach people and situations initially without judgment, with curiosity, with exploration, and not predetermined judgment of this person's good or this person's bad. So that's that's the first you know, characteristic of, of somebody that is self-actualized. Second, increased acceptance of self, of others, and of nature. Maslow found that mentally healthy people have less overriding guilt. They have less shame less severe anxiety. Self-actualizing people can accept their nature, including their shortcomings and their contradictions without you know, feeling overly concerned. And that's a lot of what we work on at Lift Effect and psychotherapy and coaching and groups and in the V1 project is helping you increase your capacity of self-acceptance. That doesn't mean you don't want to improve it just means not beating the crap out of yourself all the time with shame and, and guilt, which results in anxiety and depression. Third, increased spontaneity and naturalness. People so, that are self-actualized are more spontaneous in their behavior as well as in their lives. I don't mean impulsive. I just mean they allow a little bit more flexibility in their behavior, with their thinking, with their impulses. Naturalness and simplicity often mark their behavior. Fourth, increase in problem centering. They're more focused on problems outside themselves as opposed to personal issues, which are egocentric, ego-centered. They often have missions in life and tasks to fulfill that demand much of their energies. Now, let me add that having a mission and, and having tasks is great. You know, some of the activism that people are involved in, these social causes, uh, and I'm not against people. I mean, look, we live in a free country. That's what we fight for. That's what the freedom is, is to be able to express your opinion and fight for what you stand for. But often people involved in activism and social causes use these endeavors to escape their problems and, and feel better about themselves. So it's important to be focused on problems outside of yourself, but not to the point where it's just a distraction from dealing with your own shit. All right. Fifth. Increased detachment and desire for privacy. Self-actualized people are comfortable being themselves without the need to always be around others for reinforcement. They they like solitude. It's not they're not afraid of it and privacy to a higher degree than often the average person does. Six, um, increased autonomy and resistance to enculturation is big. They're relatively independent of their social environment, motivated by a drive for internal growth, self-actualizers, more focused on the development of their potentials, their potentialities. In contrast, the, the, the less self-actualized self person is dependent on and, and motivated by social or cultural forces. Seven is a, great, a greater freshness of appreciation and a richness of emotional reaction. So what this means is they can appreciate 
freshly and innocently the natural elements of life with awe, with, with more wonder, and, and even pleasure long after these things become stale to others. So for example, you can gaze at a tree or a sunset for a long time without getting bored. You don't have to have an, you know additional stimulation. Now let's think about this for a second in context. Think about iPhones. These things are literally leading us away from self-actualization. All they do is distract you like a squirrel. Ding, here comes the, you know, here's a text, here's an email, here's a a like on my Facebook page. It just, all it does is distract you from being able to appreciate the things that are around you at all times that you don't notice. That's why mindfulness is a really good, uh, you know, a, a good brain development practice. It, it leads to greater access to things that are, you know, lead us to awe and wonder and pleasure and which creates more self-actualization. All right. Next is higher frequency of peak experiences. Maslow wrote a book called Religion, Values, and Peak Experience. I wouldn't recommend you read it, but it, okay, maybe you can read it if you want. But he, he called this a mystical experience or oceanic feeling. He found that when these these mystical experiences or with these mystical experiences, there's a loss of self or a transcendence of it. And so according to Maslow and many, many other developmental researchers, everybody everybody has access to these peak experiences, but self-actualizing individuals have these experiences just more often. Nine, increase identification with human species. They want to be more connected. They have a need to be more connected. Humans develop from being identified exclusively with themselves, we call that egocentricism, to identification to a group, whether it be family, religious, you know, politics, um, think about it as like as our pilot group, to identification with all of humanity, which is world-centric. 10, we've got a couple more. Improved interpersonal relations and deeper bonds. Self-actualized people are capable of greater love and more obliteration of these ego boundaries. They have deeper relationships than, than a lot of their counterparts. They may only form deep bonds with a select few individuals, but they maintain a relatively small, close circle of friends. There's a great quote that I think is really true, is you're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with, so make sure you choose them really well. Don't have to have a massive social group. It's okay to have lots of friends, but you need to have people that are a close circle of, of people that really help help you self-actualize. 11, more democratic character structure, which what that what, what does that mean? It just means less judgmental. They're, they're often friendly with anyone of, of suitable character, regardless of class or you know what political belief you have or what race you, you are or color or sexual identity. Uh, gender identity. They don't, it doesn't matter. Identifying more closely with the human species, they're, they're less determined by uh, any of these classifications. They don't, they just don't care. They just, they don't view it that way. And lastly is an increased creativeness and self-expression. This is a big one for me. I really double down on creativity. It's a lot of stuff I, I try to help my clients develop. A universal characteristic of all self-actualizing people that Maslow studied was an increase in creative expression. 
And this creativeness is not a, it's not a special talent that takes years of practice of sitting in the rehearsal room, learning to play the violin. That's, that's not what we're talking about, but it's more of an innocent, a playful, a spontaneous creative expression that every young kid is capable of. So I would say go and watch kids, not in a creepy way. Don't show up with a mustache and a band with no windows, but go and watch how kids play and they're just open and they're wide and they're free. And it's awesome. It's one of the reasons I, I try to take my, my daughter to the pool every night is we just practice swimming and then we just horse around in the water and it's just, it's just learning to play. It feels good and just do what they do. And you'll realize like, man, you can be really creative and expressive in this moment. Oh, there's one more. I forgot one more. Establish changes in their value system. So with their philosophic acceptance of the nature of their selves, of human nature, of the physical reality, self-actualized people establish a firm value structure. Again, values work. Boys and girls, values work. V1 project is a big piece of it is values work. So with appreciation, acceptance of human nature, many of our so-called problems are seen as gratuitous and fade out of existence. So those are the characteristics of self-actualization. Um, so here's, let's wrap it up, right? It's getting boring. So where are you? Where are you now? Do you think about these characteristics? Our, our minds will typically take us in two directions. A, we identify some of these patterns in our lives and now we feel really good about ourselves. We go, hey, I'm self-actualizing. Or B, we go, oh my God, I'm not measuring up to these. And now I feel totally demoralized and now I'm not self-actualizing. So here's the tricky thing. Whether you're feeling good, kind of inflating, or you're feeling bad, you feel deflated, we're stuck in an unmet esteem need. And that is our primary motivation uh, it is, is still really basic. It's deficient needs. We're not self-actualizing. So regarding self-actualization, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. What's important is your overall direction, your overall direction. So let me see if I can just break this down very quickly. The reality is that most of us are trying to meet all of our human needs simultaneously to, to varying degrees. Instead of focusing on whether or not you're self-actualizing, consider the overall emphasis and momentum of your actions. If you're investing in increasing effort in your growth, you probably feel more satisfied. And this satisfaction is going to likely you know, fuel your growth for, for, for more efforts. Martin Seligman, which is another psychologist, he, he confirms this experience. He, found, he was a founder of the, the positive psychology movement that I alluded to in the past. And he finds that people feel more gratification which is like lasting, I guess, fulfillment, which a result of fulfillment might be some happiness when they are pursuing personal growth. Now, if your emphasis is turning to unmet relatedness and existence needs, your frustration is building. Frustration diminishes your motivation to grow. That's the problem. That's why people can't, you know, make, get, get started with the areas that they want to improve. It's their, their, their nutrition, their physical health, their spiritual health, their mental health. So I think the best way to approach self-actualization is to remember it's, it's actually inherently a spontaneous and natural process for us. That's why kids are able to do it. They are 
always self-actualizing until it gets beat out of them by our society, by our system uh, that tells them, all right, stop screwing around, stop being creative, start answering on command. You can see some of my opinions here. You don't have to agree. But most of us, including myself, this curiosity isn't cultivated. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't really cultivated in in youth. It just got squashed. And so, for most adults, the drive toward self actualization comes out of a sense of dissatisfaction with how they're living, or who they are, or who they're becoming, or who they're surrounding themselves with. An inner acknowledgement arises that we're capable of more which is probably why you're listening to this podcast. And so once you are able to rekindle this little fire within you, now the adventure begins. Now's where it begins. And I would say it starts with a lot of reading. If you don't read or you don't, and you can look, you can do audible. It's the greatest thing ever. You can listen to stuff now. You don't have to read it. Um, Podcasts have become a great way of 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 uh, educating but when we read a lot when we engage in these kinds of activities it starts to open up this practice and you start to see that there's an infinite number of ways you can develop your gifts your passions your abilities your intelligence and you might even start kind of diving deeper into specific areas specific practices or just skim the surface for a while right? And figure out which which area you want to dive into. Everybody's different. So as you start to, I'll sum this up. When you start to self-actualize, you often confront your fears. You resolve a lot of your anger. You can experience grief and loss. You can accept guilt and shame. You get to know the dark side of yourself, the shadow that Jung writes about. I mean, every mountain has a sun-facing side and it's got a dark backside, including us. You learn to assert yourself. You start to locate your own agency within yourself and you can start to see through your own self-deceptions. And that's the benefit and I think the motivation for working towards self-actualization. Now, I can say it's very difficult to do it without assistance, without help. That's what Lift Effect is for. That's what the V1 project absolutely is for. Is for. I'm not here just trying to promote this just for my benefit. I'm promoting it for your benefit. I love being able to see people start to self-actualize. I, in fact, I, I, I stopped flying something that I deeply care about, that I'm so passionate about, like most of our pilot listeners, because being able to see people self-actualize is even better than than flying an airplane, which is pretty tough to beat for me. But that's how much I believe in this. And everybody is capable. It's your birthright. It's your birthright to self-actualize. Our external environment most of the time does not support our self-actualization. The external world, it's designed to reinforce unmet basic needs. And this is the reason very few people actually, you know, actualize <laughs> their potential. But self-actualization is not just for a few. It's your birthright. And although we resist our own self-actualization because of fear, and fear controls everything, we do this without knowing it. When we're spending most of our time consuming different forms of media, for example, 
we, we've we've started to veer away. We're on the wrong path. You're in, you're going in the wrong direction. The good news is, as soon as we start to realize that the awareness, right? You can't recover from a stall unless you know you're stalling. As soon as you realize it, you can start anew. You can you can start right now, this minute. You can start. So, engage in what you care about, the things that light your fire, things that ignite your curiosity and start to see where, where it can take you and reach out to those that have traveled the path, to those that, that can help you. Don't be afraid to ask for help, to ask for guidance. It can, it can help you accelerate the process. And I think it's, it's an amazing adventure that you can have through self-actualization. So I hope that that's useful. It's been fun. Let me know if you have any questions. Info at liftaffect.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We've got we've had 150,000 listens, um, which is like unbelievable, but very few subscribers, which is interesting. So I think you're forgetting to uh, subscribe. The reason I ask you to do it is to access as many people that may not have thought about some of these things, may not ever reach out for professional help, that maybe we can offer them something to get them started. Maybe it's enough. Maybe it's enough to help them actually reach out for, for more help. So that's our goal here. That's our mission. So we'd really appreciate it if you would like, review, subscribe on whatever you're listening to the platform. It makes a huge difference. It gets this out to more people. So with that said, we'll see you next week. Everybody have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.